before Stone's Throw with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the Divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys, there's your picture. Drop the shadows out of And what a picture it is, Benedict the 16th, yes, today is Tuesday, April 19th, 2005. Um, <laughs> Jesus, Mary and Joseph, we've got a new pontificate. Yes, they're there to pontificate. It's a Bavarian bachelor name of Joe Ratzinger, a German professor, yes. I think of Artie Schopenhauer. I should read Arthur Schopenhauer here. I will do that very soon. German professor, 78 years. Ah, the great late T.S. Eliot, the poet, wrote, um, The world is turned by dying men. Old dudes, white dudes, there's no place like Rome. There's no place like Rome. I will try to speak uh, reasonably, rationally about this new Pope, Benedict XVI. Thursday on the morning show, I was speaking with a friend last night, uh, a lapsed Catholic. It's curious, I know so many lapsed or ex-Catholics and they are, without exception, kind, thoughtful, such sweet, compassionate people. I asked her why this is so, and she said, well, we took the good stuff, you know. We took the the uh, thoughtful, kind things, you know. But then by the time they were old enough to think rationally, reasonably, uh, well, you know how that is. I've heard so many nuns say that they miss the music, the beauty, the aesthetic, but not the mass, not the authoritarian angle. Um, I don't know. I heard someone on the radio today. What was it he said? He said, uh, you can't just make up a religion. <laughs> I thought, why not? Why not? The best line I've heard so far from critics refers to the new pope's hardline adherence to our late Pope, John Paul's conservative social agendas, you know all about that. I heard this critic uh, call uh, the new Pope God's Rottweiler. <laughs> now, I, I do try to practice the ancient art of being of two minds. God forbid we should rain on their parade. Anyone who can find joy in this new priest's ascension as Bishop of Rome, Vicar of Christ, and all the rest of that, well, goddess bless them. Uh, anything that lifts the heart and maketh us to be uh, 
what is it, more cheerful, maketh us to find life uh, warmer and gentler. Uh, I'm for that. Uh, and all this ceremonial hoopla is dear to the hearts, dear to the hearts of the people who need to worship, who need to look up to someone, who need to, uh, what is the word? Um, I cannot understand the word. I've never understood this need to find someone a leader because, of course, when when times darken, this is such a dangerous impulse. It's so wonderful when we, you know, love the poet or the artist. Uh, I remember asking writers what their gods were and telling them my gods were Gertrude Stein <laughs> and Samuel Beckett, and they got all turned around. Uh I, I think of it all in psychological terms. Um, it's true, we do need uh, role models. I prefer the term moral examples, you know. Eleanor Roosevelt comes to mind in terms of politics. Uh, all through history, we human beings have created uh, gods and heroes and demigods and myths and legends and uh, uh, divine persons. Uh, we like to have them, we like to give them a face like our own. The more ancient people, I think, were a little bit more uh, egalitarian. They gave the face of God to animals, to all sorts of creations. Uh, I myself am a mythomaniac, always have been. I love the ancient Greeks, the Scandinavian myths, the Celtic myths are my recent preoccupation. Love that stuff. Uh, I like archetypes, uh, symbols. I write fiction with so many symbols. A pal the other day was reading my work, and he said, "What? What are you coming out of?" He said, "This is this post-symbolist bleep, Jennifer." Anyway, my favorite Greek, my favorite Greek uh, figure was the female figure of Hestia. H e s t i a. Now, Hestia is this hearth goddess, but she's not like Hera or Aphrodite, any of the others. She, she is a homebody, but it's her home, her, her, um, her estate, let's call it, uh, her land. She does not have a male counterpart, you know, there's no lord and master to come home and give orders. Hestia is simply a compassionate, um, mother goddess who hangs around her hearth. I also like uh, the renegades, like, um, oh, the biblical ones, Lilith, Adam's first wife. She is a trip, you know. We can always find gods that suit our own um, psychological needs. I think of all the icons, uh, the, the images, the pre-Bronze Age. Those are my favorites, the female divinities of ancient, ancient, and prehistoric human beings. Uh, very often I get calls, particularly from guys who uh, are offended by any references to the goddess because they think that that's religiosity in the same way that um, moderns speak of um, religious dogma, say, in Christianity. And uh, I have to explain to them that this is not exactly a uh, religious dogma, I have to ask them to check out their anthropology, their archaeology, their prehistory. I always recommend the work of Maria Gimbutas, 
the great Lithuanian Maria Gimbutas, who's uh, just recently left us, is a great loss. She wrote two uh, essential books, uh, The Civilization of the Goddess and The Language of the Goddess. And this is anthropology, folks. This is not New Age nonsense. Now, I know there's plenty of New Age nonsense, of course. There's always that sort of thing. Uh, what is it? The word spirituality is beginning to give me give me a pain. But that's just, you know, people need a gig. They need to make a little money. So I guess it's all right. Uh, actually, a lot of those folks do practice uh, healing arts. And when it gets uh, into that area... I'm all for it, what we call the uh, the pagan arts, uh, nature. See, it's it's the consciousness uh, of our species, our, our psychology. I think that those people, those early people, and a lot of people, again today, they see in nature divine sources. And, of course, the source of life is often feminine. Uh, literally, women are the ones who give birth. Uh, Males are also a divine source of life. Uh, it's just that the symbols and the scepters, uh, they were stolen from the women early on. That's called patriarchy. Again, I'll get a letter saying that patriarchy is male bashing to even mention the fact that men are in charge. <laughs> I think, I think if you look at the Vatican, you would have to agree. The, um, Males, about 5,000 years ago, took the symbols, the um, metaphors, and they uh, turned them into their own purposes. I mean, what do you think that red carpet is, folks? That's the uh, symbol of menstrual blood. Holy water is that water that breaks when the child is born, all that sort of stuff. Uh, people give me a funny look and go, yuck, when I explain all that, it's hard you know, the early Christians, in fact, um, they just metamorphosed these things. They cooked the meals, the women, they cooked a feast. And they gathered people around, and that was the religious practice. You know, they cooked the Last Supper and all. But then the guys came along, and they just turned it into the wine and the wafer, just an abstract. That's not, you know, that's not going to um, fill you up, those wafers. That's not dinner, folks. That's just a gesture, the flesh, the wine. Anyway, uh, I guess I did want to just mention in passing uh, that this uh, this Pope thing is serious show business, actually. Uh, the Pope, the uh, Vicar of Christ, has a lot more clout, certainly uh, more clout than the remnants of royalty that we see around the world today. That's mostly... Um, tourist attractions, although the Vatican is quite a tourist attraction. Uh, there are one or two, just a very few royals on earth who still have something like absolute power. Um, very few, actually. Um, the ones that get the most media attention, that would be the British royals, they are fast fading. Uh, they do still have an estate of roughly a billion dollars, uh, that would make them the uh, comparative um, uh, lords or rulers. Uh, let's see, if they were in, in medieval times, you know, they would still be pretty much on top of things. They say that Queen Elizabeth may be the richest white woman on the planet. I'm not quite sure about that. Uh, 
and they still affect a sort of mask of, um, hmm, I guess we call it respectability, uh, role modeling. They do, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was raised on the little princesses Margaret and Elizabeth, yes. Um, not quite demigods, more like um, fashion uh, models. Uh, the younger sister Margaret was exactly my age, and uh, my mother would say, "Yes, the little princesses. Yes, they wear those those round collars, dear." Uh, she said, "You don't have to wear those. There's a uh, silly anyway." When people like that, uh, so-called royals, behave like everyone else in today's 21st century society, they can count on making the tabloids. Uh, this feeds our need for gossip. Uh, I remember, well, when Charles and Camilla got married last week, it was a kick. Uh, I just loved her hats. I watched. I wanted to see the hats. Yes. They were hit with a medieval prayer service. They, quote, this is a quote, they acknowledged and bewailed their manifold sins and wickedness. Mm-hmm. Yes, wicked indeed. Now, I think that's a cool prayer. I think the wickedness refers to their um, uh, adultery, not to uh, the fact that they do not feed the poor, at least not to the extent that they might do. I think it's a prayer that's worth sending to George W. George W. attended the papal funeral. I was shocked. I was shocked. Excuse me. The president is not a Catholic. He should have sent John Kerry, for Christ's sake. At least it's the right religion. Um, George W. is a loose cannon these days. A loose cannon on the deck of the Titanic. Actually, he's a loose cannon ball. Rolling around the halls of power. I've been watching his handlers. I think they assume that he's almost over, but I see years. Let's see. We've got, oh, three years. I mean, his handlers seem to be looking for the next beard, the next fearless leader to front for the corporate oligarchy. Oh, what a tangled web is wove by Karl Rove. I wonder who they will promote. Little college of cardinals. Conclave, a Washington conclave. Who will they pick to sit in front of us? I wonder, is there time to get Arnold in the running? Yes, Conan, the barbarian, Arnold. That constitutional amendment is a real possibility, you know. That could happen. Arnold versus Hillary. I'll lay you odds. Our Congress seems frozen with fear. There is a handful of heroic Democrats. We must give them all the support possible. They're the constituency. Uh, I mean, there's Barbara Boxer and there's... Any number of black congresswomen speaking truth to power. But, you know, I don't think we can expect Maxine Waters to save the nation. Uh, she could certainly try as president. Poor old Ted Kennedy is in there. He looks so old. Uh, yes, the world is turned by dying men. At least that old Republican hypocrite Henry Hyde is quitting in 2006. Eighty-one. Thank God he's done. Done enough damage in his lifetime to ruin 
the happiness, the prosperity of thousands of women and children. You remember that family life amendment? All that miserable misogyny, all that vindictive attacks during his uh, party's assault, you know, on Bill Clinton, the impeachment. Oh, yes, impeach Bill Clinton for a little heavy petting. Oh, Henry Hyde, he used to refer to himself as a, what was it, he would say, uh, you know, so many months old fetus, like um, 3,000 and something, 300 and whatever it was, he counted up, what would it be, 81 years times 12 months would be, yes, he's that old a fetus, and he would say, yes, help, he would say, don't kill me, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph Henry Hyde, uh, it's a wonderful book, by the way, by Dennis Bernstein of KPFA, telling us all about uh, Henry Hyde's path. It is so interesting, these these old men, ancient dudes. Uh, there was something I had here on the list, on my list of old dudes. It was basically about Strom Thurmond and... Uh, <laughs> oh, hundred years. Strom Thurmond and uh, Jesse Helms. Uh, we all breathe a sigh of relief when these guys quit, but uh, it's a little late to matter, you know, after they've put in a lifetime of retro legislation, mailstream thought, the choices that maintain the status quo. We don't have time anymore. We don't have the luxury of waiting for these guys to go away. Uh, the nation, the world cries out for some 21st century solutions to problems. Uh, these dinosaurs are not only unwilling to address the problems, they don't even acknowledge them. It isn't in their world view. Uh, I'm told that most congressmen don't even travel outside the United States. Uh, the majority of the guys in our Congress don't even have passports. One thing you can say for old Pope John Paul, he did do some outreach. Um, you know, I figured after he was shot, he, he would withdraw a bit, but he did go out and touch people. Um, I'm not sure what good it did, but uh, it made people feel good, and I suppose there is something to that. It's like, you know, it entertains us. I thought about that. Uh, I was reading something someone sent me by Kurt Vonnegut, and uh, he said the cruelest thing about, uh, yes, <laughs> yes, uh-huh, he said the cruelest thing about the Pope and about uh, our modern times. He said, at least, yes, we will have entertained the public with these, uh-huh, with these, these issues. Let me read you a little bit of this piece by Kurt Vonnegut. It's called Cold Turkey. And it's, it's not exactly an upper. It didn't cheer me up. I wanted to read you funny stuff about Jane Fonda, but I'm going to save that for the marathon, because I like Jane Fonda. Uh, I'm of two minds, of course, when it comes to Jane. There's an article by Bruce Patterson in the current Anderson Valley Advertiser titled Jane Fonda, Genuine Phony. 
Uh, he speaks of an old Biddy's hubris in her book, My Life So Far. I also recommend excerpts from her book. You can find them in Time Magazine, 11 April. That's funny. <laughs> but I like Kurt Vonnegut because he's 10 years older than I am, and he seems to be, what, on the same page that I'm on. He's talking about cold turkey. What he means is that we have to go cold turkey and go off fossil fuels. But let me read you just a little bit of his uh, his article here. Uh, many years ago, he says, I was so innocent, I still considered it possible that we could become the humane and reasonable America so many members of my generation used to dream of. We dreamed of such an America during the Great Depression when there were no jobs. We fought and often died for that dream during the Second World War, when there was no peace. I know now that there is not a chance in hell of America's becoming humane and reasonable, because power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Human beings are chimpanzees who get crazy drunk on power. <laughs> I have a footnote here about primate grandiosity. And why it's so much fun to dress up like the Pope. Anyway, he goes on to say, by saying that our leaders are power-drunk chimpanzees, am I in danger of wrecking the morale of our soldiers fighting and dying in the Middle East? Their morale, like so many bodies, has already been shot to pieces. They are being treated as I never was, he means in the Second World War, as I never was, they are being treated like toys a rich kid got for Christmas. When you get to my age, if you get to my age, which is 81, and if you have reproduced, you will find yourself asking your own children, who are themselves middle-aged, what life is all about. I have seven kids, four of them adopted. Many of you reading this are probably the same age as my grandchildren. They, like you, are being royally shafted and lied to by our baby boomer corporations and government. I put my big question about life to my biological son, Mark. Mark is a pediatrician, author of a memoir, The Eden Express. His book is about his crack-up, straitjacket, padded cell stuff, from which he recovered sufficiently to graduate from Harvard Medical School. Dr. Vonnegut, that is Dr. Mark Vonnegut, said this to his doddering old dad, quote, Father, we are here to help each other get through this thing, whatever it is, unquote. So I pass that on to you. Write that down. Put it in your computer so you can forget it. Another footnote here, old doctor I once knew uh, explained to me that of course life was all pain. Uh, the only question was whether we could share the pain, whether we could commune with others. Um, I don't think that goes quite far enough, folks. I think we have to transmute the pain, turn it into action. Anyway, Kurt Vonnegut goes on to say, well, that's a pretty good soundbite, that is his son's remark, that we're here to help each other get through this thing, whatever it is. 
It's almost as good a soundbite as do unto others as you would have them do unto you. A lot of people think Jesus said that because it is so much the sort of thing Jesus liked to say. It was actually said by Confucius, a Chinese philosopher, 500 years before there was that greatest and most humane of all human beings, Jesus Christ. One of these days, yes, Christ consciousness is going to be my subject. I'm always afraid to discuss it here on KPFA because people go ballistic, you know. They have the either-or problem. You know, you're either for him or against him instead of just trying to understand what he was all about. Kurt Vonnegut goes on to say, the Chinese also gave us, via Marco Polo, pasta and the formula for gunpowder. The Chinese were so dumb, they only used gunpowder for fireworks. <laughs> Everybody everywhere was so dumb. Uh, nobody in either hemisphere even knew that there was another use for gunpowder. <laughs> but back to people like Confucius and Jesus and my son, the doctor, Mark. Uh, they have said uh, we could behave more humanely and that would make the world a less painful place. Aha, yes, another footnote here. My favorite is always George Santayana, you know, the guy who said morality is the de desire to lessen suffering in the world. The use of condoms, I think, would lessen suffering on the planet. There would be less disease, uh, less HIV AIDS and that sort of thing. But uh, that measurement is apparently too complicated for the... Uh, <laughs> The folks in the Vatican. Anyway, Kurt Vonnegut goes on to quote uh, Eugene Debs, who comes from Terre Haute in his native state of Indiana. He says, get a load of this. Eugene Debs, who died back in 1926 when Kurt Vonnegut was four, he ran five times as Socialist Party candidate for president. He won... 900,000 votes, 6% of the popular vote in 1912, if you can imagine such a ballot. Here's what he said while campaigning. As long as there is a lower class, I am in it. As long as there is a criminal element, I am of it. As long as there is a soul in prison, I am not free. Doesn't anything socialist make you just want to throw up? You know, like great public schools or health insurance for all. And how about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God, and so on. <laughs> not exactly planks in a Republican platform, not exactly Rumsfeld or Dick, Dick Cheney stuff. Here we go. Let me read you something funny here. This is Common Dreams News Center. Um, <laughs> Culture of Life, a platform for progressive values. Get a load of this. For those listening closely, President Bush's statement on uh, Terry Schiavo's death was truly breathtaking. This is what George W. said. Get a load of this. Quote, The essence of civilization is that the strong have a duty to protect the weak. You get that? Pick up on that? Yes. The essence of civilization, says George W., is that the strong have a duty to protect the weak. This is Orwellian madness coming from this dude. Okay. 
Let's get that in the Republican platform, George. For some reason, the most vocal Christians among us never mention the Beatitudes, you know. Blessed are the meek. Often with tears in their eyes, they demand that the Ten Commandments be posted in public buildings. Of course, that's Moses, not Jesus. I haven't heard one of them demand that the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, be posted anywhere. Blessed are the merciful in a courtroom. Blessed are the peacemakers in the Pentagon. Give me a break, boys and girls. This has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on the air Thursday morning at 8.20. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Tune in to Voices of Middle East and North Africa for genuine, authentic, indigenous perspectives from the Middle East and North Africa every week, Wednesdays from 7 to 8 p.m. on KPFA Free Speech Community Radio. Now you can hear us every Wednesday, rain or shine, at 7 p.m. Heart-hitting public affairs as well as arts, literature, and culture programming that dares to speak truth to power. Voices of Middle East and North Africa, a program that is rooted in our community and reaches out to the entire public at large. Make sure and join us every Wednesday evening from 7 to 8 p.m. See you there.